of the text this morning. The text that I don't know if I ever heard preached from. Maybe I've a text for sure I never preached from before. It's been a little bit challenging to pull it together. Covet your prayers. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 22. I want to look at the key text here, and then we'll look at the background some. Ezekiel 22 and the verses, verse 30. Ezekiel 22:30. This is God speaking. And I saw for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Little bit of history here. In the year, these are approximates, I don't know just how exact, but let's just give them as, as dates for reference. We're 602 BC, 602 years before Christ. And uh, Josiah, this was a few years before this yet, he was a faithful king, he loved the Lord. It, it's just a tremendous testimony of what Josiah did to turn his heart to the Lord. But we know that that was Josiah himself. That was not the people. And we know that Josiah was fervent. Uh, he even went as far as uh, to burn the bones of, of the, the false prophets. But when the kingdom, when Josiah was taken out of the picture, the kingdom was passed on to his son. His son was a wicked man. And uh, there was, I think he reigned for about three months, and then he was replaced by his brother, and, and etc. 602 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and he he took over. Okay? He there's a, a, a number of captives taken to the land of Babylon, and Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, was one of those, and. Uh, the prophet Daniel was another one. As, as young men, they were taken from their homeland. They were taken to, to Babylon. And that's where the prophecies of Ezekiel and Daniel came from, in the land of Babylon. Now we have Jeremiah at the same time. He stayed behind. He was in Jerusalem. And King Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah to be ruler over Israel. Now it wasn't ruler as they were before. He, they were kind of just a, a province under Babylon to serve the king Nebuchadnezzar. And somewhere along there, Zedekiah decided we're not going to do this thing. We're going we're gonna to be a nation of our own and we're not going to be under King Nebuchadnezzar and he revolted against it. 
So King Nebuchadnezzar, this is about 592 besieged. He brought his army and, and, and encompassed the city of Jerusalem and, and the gates were shut and no one could come out. And the prophecy that I just got done reading, the word of God, this happened in 593. We're, we're looking at a couple years before the destruction of Jerusalem. In the year 590, a year and a half after Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city, they were starving in there. They, how they could last for a year and a half, I don't know, but they did. They were starving in there, and Zedekiah at nighttime took off towards some... Oh, slipped my mind right now. Oh. Anyway, he took off, and, and the... Nebuchadnezzar's army was aware of that and they, they overtook him and, and his men. The last thing that Zedekiah saw was his sons being killed in front of him. Then they took out his eyes and he was taken captive to Babylon. This was a result of what God had said here in verse 30 and 31. I'd like to back up and I was contemplating reading this whole chapter to get the context better, but maybe I'll just pass over quickly. The things that they did that was against what God had commanded for his people. And also bringing in mind, in Exodus 19, not going to turn to that, but God is sharing his heart, what he wants of his people. They're going to be a holy nation. They're going to be a nation of priests, people that represent God before him. And we see that in, in the course of history, it was back and forth of worshiping idols and, and doing things against what God had commanded them. And uh, we have in this list, we have incense. We have uh, a lot of immorality. But I wanna, I'm going to read from verse 23 on down to the end, and we look at especially where the leadership of the nation of Israel and of Judah had failed to carry out what the Lord wanted of them. Verse 23, Ezekiel 22. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon the day of indignation. There is conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they allowed difference between the clean, unclean and the clean. They have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like Wolves ravening the prey, they shed blood to destroy souls, they get dishonest gain, and her prophets have daubed with the untempered mortar, seeing vanity, divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath thus hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery. 
that vex the poor and the needy, yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their, way, their own way have I recompensed upon their head, saith the Lord God. Now we're living in a time today when there's a lot of preaching and, and teaching going on about the love of God and, and the mercy of God. And, and this is all true, but we know that the mercy of God and the patience of God and the love of God has a cutoff point. I may say it that way. There is a time when God says, no more. There is a place of no return. And, and you could, if you, if you want to look into this further, for further background, you could look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 25. Uh, we see there the history of when, when Jerusalem was destroyed. Or also 2 Chronicles 36. And I'm going to keep my finger here in, in Ezekiel 22, and I'm going to just go to Second Chronicles 36, uh, verses 14 to 16, just to get the heart of God in, in what we're looking at this morning. <clears throat> Second Chronicles uh, 36, verse 14. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which was hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Till there was no remedy. There was a place. And this is how I see God. God in his loving ways. God in his patience. God is, is, is sending his messengers. He's sending his people, uh, the prophets, to, to warn the people and giving them an opportunity until he sees a place where there is no other solution but to destroy. And that's what happened to the nation of Judah back in uh, 590 before Christ. And it seems like the father that man drifts from God, the father that man drifts from the God's holy standard, the harder it becomes to return. Yeah, you follow me here this morning. That's the overall condition of ungodliness and, and immorality and, and just disregarding the holy commands of God. There is an overall condition that prevails to where it is difficult and it's even harder and harder for people to turn back to God. And we have the prophecy of the end of the world in Matthew 
24, where Jesus says, Because iniquity abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. As, as the environment around us becomes more and more evil, and iniquity becomes a way of life, we can become hardened to what holy living really is. And we'll get to some more of that later. The, the deeper that people go into the bondage of iniquity, the less they become aware of the impending judgment and the divine vengeance that is waiting to be poured out. And we live in a day and age where in the political world it's a very end thing talk about global warning, warming. But they know very little about the global warning that we have in 2 Peter chapter 3 where it says the elements will be burned up. Why? Because people have chosen to disregard the holy ways of God. And as I mentioned here in Ezekiel 20, chapter 22 where we have the leaders. We have the men that God would have had to, to speak out against the evil. They themselves become involved with that. And I'm so thankful to God that that can be part of a group of people at this point. I'll say at this point, I don't feel that we have much of this amongst us. But when I look at the broader religious Scene, the broader religious atmosphere is very much becoming the way of life. And we are affected by these things, and that, that is maybe part of the burden that I have this morning. But the, the, the thrust of the message is that God sought for man. God is seeking for men this morning. that would pick up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land. And I think God is concerned about the earth that is out there. He's not into this green earth type of thing. He's concerned about the spiritual environment of, of the people that live in the, in the world today. Very much concerned about it. And if we have communion with Christ, if we are here in Christ's stead, as we are to be this morning, then we're concerned about it also. And I've, I've been trying to just put my finger on what this gap is that God is talking about this morning. Because we could talk about a gap, and this is, might be what it is. We have a holy God here, a God that cannot accept sin. A God that keeps himself completely in a pure environment and cannot in any way mix with sin. And we have a people down here that are bent on doing their own thing and, and, and living their sinful ways. And God is looking for someone that is willing to represent a holy God and show this holy God to these sinful people. And there's a gap that 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 God wants to be closed. A gap that he wants someone to bridge, if I can say it right. 
That's, uh, that's uh, the work of a prophet. The work of a prophet is representing God to the people. And we have prophets mentioned here in Ezekiel 22. And also we have a priest which is representing the people to God. So we have a God that's about to pour out his wrath and we have some, a priest down here that understands this and somehow he's wanting to get these people at a place where they can relate to this holy God. That's the work of a priest. And when there's no, not a faithful prophet and there's not a faithful priest, then there's a gap there. We have a holy God and we have an unholy people and, and no way to, to bridge this gap. Okay? There's another concept this morning. The, the first one, I see Christ. And I, I think we have it in the book of Job. I was going to look it up. I didn't get it done then. Uh, where Job desired for daysmen that be betwixt us. And, and that word daysmen, maybe it's not a common word it's used, but it, it's like a, a, an umpire. It's like a, a lawyer. It's like someone that, that is willing to, to stand to plead my cause, okay? And we know that when Christ came, he did that. And we focus on the life of Christ. We see how Christ lived and how he, how he was the, the one that came to, to, to stand in the gap. And he bridged that great gulf that's between a holy God and unholy people. Christ did that, and he's doing that for us today. The second concept that I think maybe if I'm looking at this verse, uh, the word of God here, this verse right. So we have picture in our minds this, this city. And around this city we have this wall. And this wall represents protection. This wall represents safety. Outside of this wall it is, it is this strong influence of evil. But there's a wall there that is protecting and keeping the influence from coming in and taking over. But there is a gap. There's, there's a, a breach. There's, there's a, a break in the wall. And so this, this strong influence of evil is, is, is coming in. And God is looking for man that's willing to place himself in that gap and say, we're not going to allow this to happen. I sought for man. There wasn't any. There's only one thing left to do, and that is to pour out my wrath. So we see this, and I'm not sure how, how you will relate to what I'm saying. We see this strong invading force. And this force is called evil. This force is called iniquity. This force is called ungodliness. And it's making headway. And it's coming and it's closing in around us. 
And God is looking for faithful men and women that are going to say, I'm going to stand in the way of evil. And I'm going to do my part to stop. Because if I don't, there's precious loved ones that aren't going to make it. God sought for man. Do we have men? Do we have faithful men and women? I, I use the, the word man here in the plural because it applies to all faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Here am I. I'm willing to be that. And when we say that, at the same time, we ask ourselves a question. But first of all, are you available? Are you available for this calling that we have in the text here that God is seeking for? And the second one, do you qualify? Is your life at a place where you're able to be that man, to be able to be, be that woman of God that can be before God for the land? for the situation. Are you willing to stand in the way of evil? To say, this is enough. Someone has to do something about it. And what do I need to do in order to qualify? Are you willing to be someone that will go against the flow. We'll stand up and say, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to get involved with what people around me get involved with, no matter if everybody else is doing it. If it's wrong, it's wrong, and I'm going to stand in the way. First of all, for my own life, be committed to holy living. Be committed to Deal with any impurities that God would want to point out in my life. Be willing to repent if necessary. Are you willing, am I willing this morning to be someone that will despise and reject the worldly influences that are pressing in all around us? I feel like I've not been around but so long, but I look at families. And I look at families, what they were 30 years ago. And I look at where they're at now. And I don't want to say this in a critical way, but I've seen changes. And changes that are not for the good. I see the influence of, of worldliness and ungodliness that, that has infiltrated to the point where you wonder, what will happen to the next generation if, if the Lord tarries? You understand what I'm saying here this morning? I trust I'm speaking to a group of people this morning that would not condone sin. We're not out there and openly defend as we see in the political world and, and it's to be expected because they're, the, they're of a different kingdom. But in the churches, I see sin being condoned. I'm saying in a broader sense of the churches. 
And I trust this morning we're not of the type that would condone sin. Now you understand the word condone, it means we're willing to, how do I say it in other words, we're willing to actually support sin and, 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 and uh, to be speaking in favor of, and I'll use an example of that, people that are in favor of abortion, for example, that's condoning sin. We know abortion is, is murder. And I'm not a fundamentalist, fundamentalist this morning think in a political way we're going to fix the problem. If the churches would have, instead of a political way, tried to fix this problem, they would have done what Lord Jesus Christ commanded, to preach the gospel with power. I think that this terrible plague of, of murdering babies would, wouldn't be near what it is. And it's not, not about that, it's about being faithful representatives of the kingdom of God and, and people that are involved with, with this murder, if you get them repented, they're going to stop doing it. And that is the solution to the problem. So this morning we're not here, I trust we're not, to condone sin in any way, But, tell me if this is true or not, as evil prevails, as this force that, that is all around us becomes more and more common, we can become calloused or passive or indifferent to it. And if we are calloused, or we're passive, or we're indifferent about the sin around us, then I think we're disqualified to stand in the gap. We're used to immorality as a common way of life. We're used to 50%, 75% nudity out there, and it, it, it's becoming more and more okay in our hearts. Is it, it, could that be true? We're used to hearing these, these filthy words, word, uh, the name of God be used in vain, where it no longer affects us like it could and should. And we can become insensitive to the imminent, impending reality that God is about to pour out his wrath amongst, uh, upon wicked people. And my understanding of it is, when, how do I say this? When time is to be no more, it's not because of the wickedness that's out there in the world, it's because the church has failed to be the light that she's to be. That God brings judgment. And we have two prime examples of judgment in the scriptures. One is the time of Noah and the flood. 
There was only eight righteous people left when God said, this is it. And the other one is of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we look at the terrible immorality that was going on. And there was, and I say this, almost have a difficult time saying it, there was three righteous people. And it was Lot and his two daughters. And we know what took place. Lot became drunk and, and there was uh, something very wrong. Immoral were the Moabites and the Ammonites were a result of that. And you look at the history of the Moabites and the Ammonites. But God calls Lot a just man, and so I accept that. God, in his standard, and in, in his, his day and age, uh, Lot was considered a holy man. So there was three righteous people when fire was poured out upon the wicked. And we could look around us and think about our churches and people we know and say, well, we're not, we're not there yet, and, and I trust we're not. But maybe our understanding, our standard of righteousness isn't where God sets it. And maybe we would consider ourselves among those when God has a standard that would be different. This morning, do we watch people make wrong choices and watch people live in open defiance to what is just and right and the absolutes of God that he has established and, and are saying absolutely nothing about it, or doing nothing about it? Are we okay with that? Is God okay with it? Is that standing in the gap? Or could it be that God wanted for us to stand in the gap against this evil? And we were indifferent or are indifferent about it. This is a challenge to myself this morning. Do I, do we believe in the power of the gospel that it is stronger than the force of evil? and is capable of, of converting the most hardened of sinners. Do I believe, do we believe this morning in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that is able to bring the ungodly to the place where they're willing to do whatever it takes to get right with the Holy God? I've in my lifetime experienced a little bit of that. And if you experience it, then you believe in it. And if you don't, it becomes harder and harder to believe in it, even though we read about it in the scriptures and we read about it in times of revival. But if we know so little about it, we can say we believe in it. We can say we believe in the power of the gospel, but have not experienced and have not been used as instruments of the gospel to see the work of God being done. And so we become complacent. There's another word that I was trying to come up with here. When someone is and they're not responding hardly 
and they're coming up with the word right now. But in a spiritual sense, we can become that. So God wants to use his church to stand in the gap, to stand before the Lord in favor of the land. In the, in, the, in, in the time of history that we were looking at, I'm talking about 590 before Christ, there was none. And yes, there was faithful prophets. You read of what Jeremiah went through. You know, Jeremiah, uh, he, he was telling the people, now you surrender to Babylon. If, if you would surrender, then, then God's not going to destroy this place. You know what they told Jeremiah? You're working in favor of King Nebuchadnezzar. You're, you're in favor of the Babylonians. You're discouraging the army. You're telling the people to surrender. Well, Jeremiah was just a faithful prophet. And what did they do? There's this, this well, didn't have water in it, it was just full of muck, it had, had mud in there, and they dropped him down in there and he was sinking down into this muck down in this well. And there was someone that, that cared enough and got some people to help him and they tied some rags together and they dropped those rags down, they put rags around his armpits and they pulled him out of there. And Jeremiah, after Jerusalem was destroyed, Jeremiah was still there. And you have Daniel, a tremendous how a man like Daniel could make the choices that he did and how he was used, both in the Babylonian kingdom and, and later in the in the in the Mede-Persian kingdom, God used him in a mighty way. And we have the prophet Ezekiel. They were faithful men. But the scripture says, for the, the, the job that needed to be done, there was no one. He found none. And so that is why And we know it wasn't just Jerusalem. We read Ezekiel, we read uh, Jeremiah, and, and there was a number of nations over this same time period. There was a number of nations that God used the Babylonian Empire to punish and to destroy. But then God also used another empire to punish and to destroy the kingdom of Babylon. Why? Because... Uh, they did not do it in a godly way at all. They were a very heathen nation. But God called Nebuchadnezzar his servant to destroy and to punish and to bring judgment upon the people of God that were bent on doing wrong. There's one other factor I want to bring in here, I want to bring this thing to a close, and that is that if the war is only fought on the defensive, it is always going to be lost. You can follow what I'm saying here this morning. 
So there's, there's opposing armies and they're fighting. And if all we're doing is trying to defend our position, if all we're doing is trying to keep our little thing going here, if, if we continue fighting the war, sometimes maybe there has to be in a war, there has to be fought in the defensive. But if we continue to fight the war only in the defensive, it is going to be lost. No war has ever been won by always trying to fight it on the defense. You're just trying to protect yourself. Wars are won on the offensive. Going out there and defeating the enemy in his territory. And the Church of Jesus Christ must be doing that. If the Church of Jesus Christ is not going into enemy territory and gaining territory for, for our king, then it's a matter of time. The war is going to be lost. And we're talking about a matter of life and death. We know that in times past, this thing of war was such a serious thing and that's the way war has been, that, that if someone didn't stand up and defend the people, didn't defend the nation, the enemy is going to come, out, come in there and just utterly destroy and take captive and, and, and create a havoc where most everything is lost. And that's in, in, a, in a material, in a... In a earthly sense that that has happened time and time in history but we're talking about a war that is much more serious than that because not only will what we know is right and what we stand for and what we're, we're trying to pass on the heritage to our children be lost in this earth but it, it, it will be lost throughout eternity. I think we understand this morning what I'm saying. If, if we lose this war, we find ourselves, we find the precious people that are following an eternity of judgment, eternity of condemnation, eternity without God, uh, which none of us can imagine here this morning, but it's a reality that we're facing so there's a seriousness about this. And this morning, the message is, God says, I sought for a man among them that should take up the hedge. That word hedge has the idea of a wall or a fence. And stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their head, saith the Lord God. Shall we bow our heads for prayer?